And of course, we'll go through verse uh, 22. Last piece of furniture uh, in the tabernacle as far as our study goes, but the first piece mentioned in the Word of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Praise God. Okay, verse 10. Is everybody there? If you are, say amen. Okay, they shall make an ark of Shadam wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, Within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of shodden wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which shall I shall give thee. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubim of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one either cherub or cherub on the one end, the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubim be. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark, Thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. Lord, we just praise you right now. Thank you for your holy word today. We thank you for its instruction, God, today. Lord, I pray for all of those, God, who are not here this morning. Dear Lord God, that you would work in their lives. Dear Lord Jesus, that your will would be accomplished in and through them, Father. And everybody said in Jesus' name. And before you sit down, I want you to go to somebody. And I want you to just praise the Lord somehow. Tell them something awesome about God. Okay, face to face. Go face to face and speak something of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. All right, amen. You just you just praise the Lord. You just praise the Lord. Worship is this way. See, when I worship God, it's, Lord, you are holy. Lord, you're awesome. When I praise Him, I go to somebody and I look at Him in the face and I speak something awesome about Him and that's praising Him. That's sort of the difference. You know, we praise Him for what He's done, but we worship Him for who He is. 
Okay? Keep that in mind. You are in, in, in the midst of you. When you praise God like that, guess what happens? The glory of God just came right in between you. Okay? Now, we're going to get into that just a little bit. But first of all, let's look at this Ark of the Covenant. This is what it looked. Isn't that beautiful? The Ark was the box. Okay? There's two pieces. The Ark is the box part right there. And then the mercy seat with these two cherubim facing towards each other, basically looking sort of down toward the mercy seat. That is another piece. There are two pieces. Okay? There's the chest, the Ark. And in the lid, the mercy seat. And of course, we know that this ark, the chest, was made out of shadow wood. It was overlaid with gold on the outside and on the inside. So in between it, you have the wood. And we have deity or gold on both sides of it. But that lid right there is solid gold. Weighed approximately 700 pounds. There's no wood in it. It is all gold. Okay? So, isn't it beautiful? <clears throat> It's got the stays running into it so that it can be carried. There's another picture of it looking down from the top. Hallelujah. Woo. Okay, there's the ark, the chest itself with the lid over to the side, the mercy seat with the carabine on the top. Now this is what was inside of the ark. We'll get into that this morning. There was the two tables of stone. There's the omer of manna. And then there is the Aaron, Aaron's rod. Okay, the almond branch. Y'all see that? Okay, we'll explain all that to you. And also, I believe that the written, a copy of the written law was also placed in there. Okay, there's that mercy seat, that solid gold lid with the carabine facing in. Okay, there's another closer picture of just the chest itself with its contents. Now you see the rod here is budded. It's got the blossoms. It's got the almond, the fruitfulness there upon it it's it was dead but it's now alive okay and there's another beautiful picture closer picture of the ark of the covenant and here we have the high priest ministering on the day of atonement because only on the day of atonement could the high priest go in and there they the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat there and atonement was made for the nation on the day of atonement all right so that's what you see the high priest doing there okay so the ark of the covenant is what we're going to be looking at this morning there's a lot in here i don't know how much uh, I'll get to share with you but anyway this is the last piece of furniture in our study but the first piece of furniture in the word of God alright you may be seated let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and let's see some information concerning this or I should say go forward to Deuteronomy and get some information Deuteronomy chapter 10, you'll see here that Moses is told by God to make this ark, to make this chest himself, which is very unique because as far as I understand the word of God, there was no other piece of furniture that Moses made himself, but the ark of the covenant, he did it himself. So look at verse 1, it tells us, at that time the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and come un unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. Say an ark of wood. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark, and 
I look at what he did. He says, and I made an ark of shittim wood. So he did it himself. And the Bible says, and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and went up into the mount, having the two tables in, in my hand. Now, I pray that you can hear me this morning as I just talk to you. Now, I'm not saying, I, I, you know, we don't know where it's going to all go, but I'm gonna, a lot of times we can't hear in, in, unless it's shouting. Okay, when I get loud, boy, that's when we start hearing. You understand? So I pray that before I, ha- I start screaming and shouting, you know, and everybody's excited and everything, that while I'm just talking, that you can hear me. You understand what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. Look at this, please, if you would. Very interesting. So the Bible says that he made this ark of shittim wood. Shittim. Say shittim wood. From what tree? The acacia. Remember the acacia? All right, if you were to walk through the wilderness and you were to look at all these various plants in the wilderness, you would look at the shittim tree. And of all the trees that are in the wilderness, it is the one that is capable of growth to some size. Okay? In that tree, there is a gum. And they use that gum for medicine. And the way they get this gum from this acacia tree is at nighttime, they go and they pierce that tree. And as they pierce that shadow tree, that acacia tree, then this gum flows from it in the nighttime. So everything, there's a reason why the Lord told them to do what He told them to do, to take the shadow wood. The gum that's in it, it has very long thorns upon it. Speaks of the curse of man. All right? It's a very twisted, it's a very hard wood. Very hard. How many of y'all ever seen petrified wood? You seen petrified wood? I've seen petrified wood. It, it's not exactly petrified wood, but it's a very, very hard wood. It's in the uh, Septuagint, it's called, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. And in the Septuagint, when it talks about this shadam tree, this acacia tree, it calls it the incorruptible tree. Amen. So this shadam tree is a picture of what aspect of the Lord? Anybody remember? I've told you all the way through the tabernacle. What is the wood? Oh, oh my. It's a, it, humanity. What's the gold then? His deity, right? So when we look at this shadow wood, then we see an incorruptible tree. We see Jesus Christ was without sin in His humanity. Amen? And when He was crucified and they took Him down off the cross, they put Him in the sepulcher. His body did not decay. It saw no corruption. And his body was resurrected from the dead. And in the nighttime of man's history, really, in the nighttime of sin, they took the wood and they put it on the wood. Are you here this morning? Who's the wood? Jesus. They put the wood. On the cross, the wood. 
And how he was hung there, he was pierced. And in his death, he brought healing, medicine to all humanity. So every aspect of this is speaking to us. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so the wood again speaks of his humanity. Let me prove it to you. Let me, let's look at Isaiah 53. Hallelujah. Amen. Prophet Isaiah. And then we'll, we'll look in Isaiah 11 also. But Isaiah 53. Say the tree. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Okay, verse 2, Isaiah 53. For he shall grow up before him a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. See that shadow tree over there in a dry, arid, dusty part of the earth? Alright, so we see that's, there's Jesus, there's the Lord, he's the wood, he's the tree. Bible said he's a root out of dry ground. The acacia has the capability of surviving in what almost looks like deadness, but it lives in the midst of deadness. And Jesus, when he came into this world, it death ever ever all around him. In a dry desert world, surrounded by sin, but yet he could survive because he's a root out of dry ground. You understand? This root out of dry ground speaks of his genealogy, his human genealogy. His human generation. Do you understand? Okay. Now, there is so much in this chapter. Someday I'm going to preach to you on the subject of the eunuch. And I'm going to show you that when it talks about a root out of dry ground, it has to do something with the eunuch. He fulfilled this. I don't have time to do that today. But I will preach it to you. I, I feel in my spirit in the next few weeks to preach it to you. Or at least within a year or two or three or four. But this is a picture of a eunuch. He was a root out of dry ground. And the Bible says, There was no former covetousness. And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. His outward human generation. You looked at Him. He didn't glow. He did on the Mount of Transfiguration. But when He walked this earth, you looked at Him, He looked just like a man. No outward beauty, no outward appeal. No outward reason why you would want to serve Him and follow Him. He's a root out of dry ground. He's like the acacia wood when you looked at it. Are you with me today? Alright. Verse 3 it says, He is despised and rejected of me and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from Him. Mm, man, this is powerful. See, when you talk about the face of God in the Old Testament, you're always talking about... See, that's what... The people of the Old Testament was always looking for. They wanted to see the face of God. Which would be what? The glory of God. And here comes John 1.14 says, Jesus came, the Lord of glory in human flesh. We beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. They were looking at the glory of God personified. They were looking at the face of God. The Bible says that 
uh, we behold His glory in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, remember Moses said, show me your glory. And here comes the Lord. He begins to, he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. We're just going to, whatever, okay. Puts Moses over in the cleft of the rock. Puts his hand over his face and he walks by him. As he walks by him, he sees his hinder parts or his back. But the Bible says, no man can see my face and live. Nobody can see me in all my glory and live, Moses. So I've got to put you in the cleft of the rock. And I've got to put my hand there. And I've got to pass by. And as he went by, Moses saw the back parts of the Lord. But he didn't see the face of God. Alright? So what did Moses see then? What, what, what did God show Moses? He showed him the back parts of God. He showed Moses the book of Genesis. That, where, where do you think Moses got the book of Genesis? He got it from, the, from God. God gave him a revelation. So as he's passing by, Moses sees the back parts. God says, look, here I'm the creator and I'm going to give you the book of Genesis. And I'm going to pass by and you're going to see my hinder parts. Moses, listen to me. Moses received the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, it's the seedbed of all doctrine. All scripture, all doctrine, all truth is rooted back here in the pattern of Genesis. Do you understand? I, I can go home if you want me to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything that happened in Genesis is a pattern of that which is to come in the future. So God said, I'm going to give you my back part. I'm going to show you my back parts. I'm going to show you the book of Genesis. You're going to write the book of Genesis. Then he went up into a mountain. God showed him the tabernacle. That's the plan. You have to understand the tabernacle to understand God. And to understand what he, His redemption. Okay. You understand? But Moses could not see the face of God. Only the back parts. And he received in a type, in a picture, in a shadow, that which was to come in Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ came, he was the gold. Go ahead, you can turn that on, sister. Go ahead and turn it back on so you can look at this. Got it? Let me back it up. See? The gold there? That's the glory of, of God. It's God. Well, that thing's got more picture than I thought it did. There we go. Okay, see that? When Jesus Christ comes into the world, He's man, but He's God. And when you looked at Jesus Christ, you looked at His outward humanity. You with me? That's why Israel had a problem understanding who he was. Because they saw his humanity. But the whole time he walked this earth, he was not just the Son of God. In, in, in some people's terminology, the second person, the Father's God's up here and the Son's down here. And they're separate from each other. The Bible nowhere teaches that. 
If I were to come across a Jewish man today who does not believe that Jesus was God, all I would do is say, let me show you the tabernacle. Right here in your own Old Testament, and I know you believe in the Old Testament, right here in this Old Testament, we have a picture of Messiah. And we see right there that He has a dual nature. The Bible teaches the dual nature of Jesus Christ. It teaches His humanity, but it also teaches His deity. And goes on the outside, and gold is on the inside, and in between is the wood. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Not three separate persons. One ark. One box. One chest. Not three separate chests. One chest. Spirit on the outside. Humanity. Spirit on the inside. Father, Son, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. One God. So that when Jesus came into the world, they looked at Him and they saw the humanity, but they could not understand that He was deity because His glory wasn't always shining out. But one day on the Mount of Transfiguration, He walked up the Mount of Transfiguration and the Bible said He was transfigured before them. And this deity that was on the inside of Him began to show on the outside of Him and they beheld the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. So that Peter picks up his pen and he said, In Peter, we beheld his glory in the mount. We saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Y'all see that? Hmm. It's powerful. All right. So when you're talking about this Shadow Wood, you're talking about his humanity, his human generation. Okay, go to Isaiah 11. Man. I'm glad I know who he is. <laughs> See, I can go to the Old Testament times. See, I already know he's God come in the flesh. You say he's separate from the Father. You don't know your Bible. He, and he's more than an angel. He's God. He's more than the cherubim. The cherubim are the created creatures of God. He is the chest. He's God. Right? 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a rod. What? Out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. You want to know where the Messiah is going to come from? He's going to come from the house of David. He's a tree. You see that? All right. So y'all understand that, that part, right? Okay, let's go back to Exodus 25 then. Praise the Lord. Now notice, and I'm not going to tell you why, but you'll notice that right here in Exodus chapter, or Deuteronomy chapter 10, it's not overlaid with gold. It's just the Shadam wood. Moses built this box and didn't put gold on it right now. Well, I better tell you because I'll probably forget. It is in this box that's not overlaid with gold that Moses put the law into. Which lets me know that when Jesus Christ came into this world, He didn't keep the law as God. See, for you to tell me that 
uh, Jesus kept the law as God. <laughs> of course he did. God cannot sin. It is impossible for God to sin. He cannot sin. But when you tell me that Jesus, who was God come in the flesh, comes into this world and as a man does not sin, then you're telling me something. Because then I can understand that when I have a problem or a trouble or something happened in my life, Jesus said, I know how you feel. Because I walked in this earth as a root out of dry ground. I was surrounded by the wilderness and the desert. And I can relate to your problem and your trouble. As a man, I kept the law of God. So listen. We can't use the excuse now since we're regenerated. We can't use the excuse that, well, we're just human and we can't obey God's word. Jesus said, I as a man kept the law of God. And I kept it perfectly, which you haven't done. But I went and died as a man on the cross to take care of that sin in your life. I kept it, you haven't, but I'll die for the sin you've committed. Woo, hallelujah. And then we come, you know, it's overlay with gold. And then we have this covering, this lid that covers it. Say, covers it. Because if God right now looked at his law and then he looked at you, he'd say, kill him. Do you understand? If God looked at me with his word out, you know, if the lid was off the ark, and he looked into the ark, then he looked at his people, he said, kill them. But because there's a lid on the top, and it's a mercy seat, and it's covering the, the law, and that mercy seat is sprinkled by blood, when I look at that, I see the blood. I don't see the law they've broken. Therefore, I don't have to kill them because somebody else died in their place and became a substitute. See, if God were to look at what was inside that thing, the law of God, come on. He'd just kill everybody. If He was looking at the law right now, he, listen, He could kill me right where I stand. But He's covered it with a mercy seat. Give the Lord praise. So he came as a man, kept the law of God perfectly as a man, then died as the perfect sacrifice for the imperfect. The perfect died for the imperfect. Man. All right. So let me go. Let's go back to Exodus. Y'all understand the Shadam wood. Now I'm healed. I'm healed. Gums flowed out, man. I'm healed. Woo! Man. Okay. All right, let's look at it then. All right, they shall make an ark shot in with two cubits and a half. Shall be the length thereof. A cubit and a half, the breadth thereof. A cubit and a half, the height thereof. Hallelujah. This is the focal point of the tabernacle. This is the object of the tabernacle. You understand? When they walked up to the door of the tabernacle, their whole focus was that ark. That's where the presence of God is in that Holy of Holies. That's His throne, and He's above it. And the glory of God is between the cherubim sitting there, resting there. So when they went to the door, they said, Oh, you know what? Our focal point is the ark. Our focus is 
the presence of God. It's the center of the whole tabernacle. It's the object of the tabernacle. Do you understand? Without this piece of furniture, you don't have a tabernacle. That's why God said build the furniture first and then pitch the tabernacle because you've got to have God. If you don't have God, then you don't have a tabernacle. Okay. So they walk up to this beautiful door. White, purple, crimson. Give me a chance. All the theologians are ahead of me today. White, purple, blue. Scarlet. You look at that beautiful door and you're saying, the door died for me. The door arose for me. You with me? It's all about Jesus, man. So he said, the door died for me and rose for me. All right. But remember, only the high priest could go here, in here on the Day of Atonement. But I'm trying to tell you now that we look at it and we can say, the door died for me. So therefore, I can walk boldly into the throne room of God. I can walk boldly into the presence of God. Because the door died for me and rose for me. Now I can walk into that presence of the Lord. Not only do we walk into the presence of the Lord, but the presence of the Lord lives in me. And He's enthroned inside of me. So what Jesus had when He came, God came in the flesh. He then on the day of Pentecost pours out His Spirit. And the glory of God enters inside of people. And we become the body of Christ. So I become the Holy of Holies. I am, you're looking at the throne room of God Almighty. I'm looking at the throne room of God Almighty today. Where the presence of the glory of God resides. And it's because the wood died on the wood. The door died. said, come on in to my presence. I made a way where there was no way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see this? Okay, man, praise God. Look verse 11. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Say, pure gold. What is the gold again? Deity. Who is Jesus? See, they were confused. They look at it. Carpenter's son. Shining wood. Carpenter's son. Confused. They didn't realize that he's the gold also. That he's the deity. Oh my. Isn't God awesome? Now look. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without. So this is a type of his deity. But what I'm trying to show you here is this. Is that when you get here, and you can get there today, now, because the door died. When you get here, this is a Holy Ghost life. Okay. I'm going to say it a hundred times if I got to till it gets inside of you. Because what I have to show you today, you're going to have to understand what I just said. This is Holy Ghost life. This is a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life. Okay. 
All right, let me just, I'll just do this. When you walk up to the door, praise God, you're fixing to walk through, hallelujah. <laughs> First thing you see is this altar sacrifice where death takes place. Calvary. A labor of water right there, cleansing, washing. Do you understand that? All right, repentance, water, baptism in His name. But keep on going and get filled with the Holy Ghost. Go in there in the altar of incense and start offering praise and worship to God. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes inside of you. So it's a Holy Ghost life. Jesus is crowned. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended. Right? He walked as a prophet. He died as a lamb. He rose as high priest. And he ascended as king of kings and lord of lords. And this crown right here tells me today. He is alive. And when the Holy Ghost was poured out on me on the day of Pentecost. What did I receive? I received the life of the spirit. So this is the life of the spirit. You've got to understand that. So I have repented. I've been baptized. I've been filled with the spirit. Very important. Very important. Okay. Say life in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Okay. Mm, should it? Yeah. Remember the gate had four, four strong pillars holding the gate up. What's that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who's the door? Jesus. So the door died. was buried. Rose again. In the what? The Gospels. Four Gospels. Then when you go to the, the brazen altar and the labor where you are, you are doing something here. It's men working here. That's where you repent. You get baptized. Alright, so you're in the book of Acts now, right here. You just keep on going, keep on going, you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, praise God! Okay, say life, look at your neighbor, and shout it! Life in the Holy Ghost! I've got the glory of God on the inside of me! I've got the Spirit of God on the inside of me! It's life in the Holy Ghost! Alright, verse 12, thou shalt cast four rings of gold. Hallelujah. You're going to put these staves in the gold. You're going to leave them there. Why? Because I'm a God who moves. God is a moving God. I, I said God's a moving God. You're going to walk with God. You've got to move with God. Doesn't it say that as many as have been born of the Spirit are the sons of God. It says as many as are led by the Spirit. They are the sons of God. Which means when God moves, you got to move because God is a moving God. So put the staves in the ark and be ready to always move. Okay. When you get over in the temple though, they pull the staves out. Put the ark there and pull the staves out. Because then you're dealing with God alone. He's sovereign. It's God doing the work alone. Do you understand? Isn't God awesome? See, I have this. It's a reality to me. 
See, if you could ever get a hold of this, you'll never be the same again. You'll never look at your Christianity the same again. When the Spirit, you're going to know that He's a moving God, and to move with Him, you got to move. To be, to be led by Him, to be a Son of God, you got to be willing to be led by that Spirit. you got to move by that Spirit of God. If I can get this in you, then you'll understand why we say, come on, let's move with the Spirit. Let's worship the Lord. Let's pray. Let's hear His voice. See, when you get here, it's not religion. Religion's out of, the, out of it, man. It's a Holy Ghost lifestyle. And that's why it's impossible if you're filled with the Holy Ghost to sit on the Holy Ghost. Because God is a moving God. And if you're full of God, you're going to be moving. See? Oh, hallelujah. Okay, y'all understand. He's the center of everything. He's the center of the camp. Jesus has the preeminence, the Bible says. Which means first place. He's not second place. He's not even the second person. He's numeral uno. You understand? He has to be the center of my life, not the outskirts of my life. He has to be everything. He has to be my object. He has to be what my mind is upon this morning. Everything else is secondary. There can be no idols in my heart. He's got to be inside of me. You got an idol in your heart? Guess what? I'm going to tell you this morning what's going to happen. Either the idol's got to go or God's going to go. I'm telling you right now, you can mark it down. You either have God inside of you or you got an idol set up in your heart. God will not stand in an altar with idolatry. He must be first place, preeminent. He is the object and the center of all things. Amen. Hey, what you doing? You turning that down or up? Turning it down? Is it getting cold for you? Oh, if it's getting cold for you, man, go over here on the hot side of the church. Uh, brother, brother, Sister Angie, go over there and turn that thing back on. I'm going to die, brother. Go over here. I'm going to get your sister, beautiful wife, and take her over on the hot side of the church, man. I know it's cold over there, but it's hot over here. I'm gonna get over here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get over here, and I'm gonna get cold, and y'all get hot. So you get cold. I don't mind, really. I, I'm not putting you down. Get over here, man. But I gotta have some cool air because it's hot right now. It's, it's hot in this place. <laughs> go ahead, go, go ahead. Go. I, that's, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm burning up, man. That's awesome, isn't he? He's the object, man. He's the center of everything. It's the way he has to be in our lives. Say, life in the Holy Ghost. All right, look at your neighbor again face to face. And say, this is a Holy Ghost life. Praise the Lord. Say Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born. A son is given. Shot him. The wood. 
And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right there. Okay. I don't feel no air. Go ahead, Holy Ghost. Give me some air conditioning, man. I'm telling you, you want to stay warm in here, you're going to have to move. <laughs> I mean, we have the air conditioner going on in the wintertime when it's snowing pretty outside. We have air conditioning going on in here. Because <laughs> you got to move. If you want to stay warm. <laughs> and you got to be sure to keep the preacher cool. Isn't God good? Look at verse 15. This day shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. You better put, it's the, we're talking about the square box here. <laughs> yeah. Moses, you're going to build this ark with your hands. And you're going to make it in a certain shape, in a certain size. And the shape that you make it in, the wood, the shape of the wood is going to be the shape of the gold. So that the wood box is going to give the shape to the gold that's on the outside of the box. You understand? So what the Lord's trying to show you here is this. Is that when Jesus Christ came into this world, He was God taking on the shape of a man. He added it to Himself another form. God added to Himself another nature. And when you looked at Jesus Christ... He gave shape, or He took on the shape of a man, but He was God come in the flesh. So it was the wood that gave the shape to the gold. Oh, I'm having a good time. See, I'm not preaching tonight. Somebody, God wanted somebody else to preach tonight. Uh, so you know what? I'm going to let it out. I'm going to just go right on with the Holy Ghost tonight. <laughs> And, and, and I've already talked to the person, so don't sit there and squirm on your chair wondering if it's you. <laughs> and I guarantee you it's not because I don't have anything to say. It's because the Lord said to me and during the week, said, I want you to have this person speak. All right, God. You're the head. So I'm going to get it out of my system this morning. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Now, inside of this ark, Exodus 16 and verse 16, the Bible tells us that they were taking, put manna in that ark. Right. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. There we go. <clears throat> Say manna. All right, I'm not going to get into a long uh, teaching on the manna because I've already preached to you about the manna. What is the bread of life, or who is the bread of life? Jesus. Where did the manna come from? It came from heaven. He's the Lord from heaven. And he also said, I'm the bread of life. I'll supply all of your needs. Brother Thomas, go ahead and stand up and say, praise the Lord. All right, look at your wife and say, praise the Lord. Look at your church. Look at the church, your church, and say, praise the Lord. Everybody say, praise the Lord back to him. He got that job. It got a better paycheck. Praise the Lord. He, God is your manna. He's the bread from heaven. He'll supply all your needs. <clears throat> so the day I knew he was going to go and 
and, and do his test. You know, I was up here praying, saying, God, he's going to take his test today. And I believe, God, that uh, he lost this other job so that you could give him a better paying job because you just want to bless him. You can curse your wilderness or you can recognize it's God trying to get you some, to a better place. You can curse your wilderness or you can understand that he's trying to get you out of Egypt to the promised land. So he's the manna. He's the bread of life. He supplies all my need. And Exodus 16, verse 16 tells us that he was just an omer. And you know what? An omer will take care of one individual for one day. So what God's trying to tell you is this. He can take care of everybody's need. All of humanity's need is met in Him. Give us this day our daily bread. He said, just put a daily amount of bread in there and it will be preserved and it will not rot. But behind in number 17, let me give you the background behind it. Number 16 took place. Okay? Everybody here? And in number 16, there was a ruckus and an uproar in the camp of Israel. Because Aaron is going to be the high priest. Well, he's from the tribe of Levi. He's not the older son. He's not from Reuben, the tribe of Reuben. He's not from the tribe of Judah. He's from Levi. And we don't really, you know, like the fact that Aaron is going to be the high priest from Levi. Okay? So you know what God does? He said, it's, it's not a matter of what you think. Amen. <laughs> I didn't come into the camp and ask you what you think. <laughs> he said, I'll settle this issue right now. He said, go and get 12 rods, almond rods. One from each of the 12 leaders of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And for Levi, get a, rye, a rod, get the rod from Levi, uh, from Aaron. All right. Representing the tribe of Levi. Now listen to me. They didn't just walk out there and cut an olive branch off of an olive tree to do this. This, this rod was the tribal rod. And on that rod was inscribed the history of the tribes. Oh, man. And from generation to generation, whoever was the tribal leader carried that tribal staff with them that was inscribed with a tribal history. So go get 12 of them, hallelujah, and then write for the tribe of Levi, Aaron. And go and put them in the Holy of Holies there before the ark where my presence is. And we're going to settle this issue right now. 
Because God says, if you read it for yourself, he says, I'm, you know, they're murmuring and they're complaining and they're griping about this, so I'll fix it right now. I'll straighten this up right now. Amen. So go get the rods. And because they had been passed down from generation to generation, then that means they were dead, dead, dead. But something awesome happened. They put the rods there before the ark. And the next morning, say the morning, they walked in there. And that dead rod, that rod which was once dead, was alive. And guess whose rod it was? It was Aaron's rod. God said, it's through this name that I have chosen that life will come. He is the one that I have put my life into. We have people today in the world, yes. You see, they don't like the fact that we say Jesus is the way. The truth. See life. They don't like that. They're like the elders. They're going to say, well, we don't like that. And God said, it doesn't matter what you like. He's the choice. He's the one I've chosen. So the people are saying, come on. You know, we can't handle your sin. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We can say that He is a way. Mm. See, that's what religion will get you. Religion will tell you He is a way. He is a truth. He is a life. But no, uh -uh, He's more than that. He is the rod. He is the way. The truth. He lied. There's no other way. He's the only way. And so this is a picture of the resurrection. Because from death came life. And the one who once was dead became alive. And now he's the high priest. Uh, oh, representing us before the throne of God. He's the bread builder that brings me back to God. Brings reunites me hallelujah man I'm having a good time praise God give the Lord a hand clap praise alright third thing Moses I want you to put in here in Exodus 25 it tells you the testimony and also in Deuteronomy 10, he said, I want you to take the table of stone, my testimony, the law, and I want you to put that in there also in this wood chest. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly, did he not? Give God praise. See, I thank God he kept the law perfectly, but then he died for its penalty, its condemnation. Hallelujah. Remember over there in 1 Samuel chapter 6? <clears throat> the ark of the Lord ended up in the Philistines' hands. And the men of Beth Shemesh walked over there. They said, you know what? We've always wanted to look and see what was inside this. Hallelujah. 
listen to me whenever you you get away from the word of God it'll kill you all they had to do is open the word of God and find out if you look inside hey that's the law of God it'll kill you but because they didn't stay with the book they died and they walked over there and they took that lid off the ark and all of a sudden the holy word of God was exposed and the Bible said they died right there on the spot so if God were to look at that and then we look at it he'd go you die and we die but it was covered by the mercy seat give the Lord praise and it was sprinkled by blood on the day of atonement and instead of a throne of judgment it became a mercy seat and Romans 3.25, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our propitiation. Which is a big word, which means He's our mercy seat. Which means this, that God is satisfied with the work of the cross. So therefore, we don't die, we can be saved because He's our mercy seat. And so the Lord, when he ascended up, sat down on the right hand of God, which means he entered into his rest. And because he entered into his rest, the work was finished. God says, I'm satisfied with it. Therefore, now I can enter into that rest. Do you understand? See, the law condemns me. I know that people only want to try to be saved by the works of the law. You'll never make it because the law is trying to get you to hear. Trying to get you to the mercy. Trying to recognize you need a sacrifice. That you need a Savior. Now once you get born again and get saved, then you obey His law. Because you are saved. Are you with me? Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap for us. <clears throat> Look at verse 17. Thou shalt make a mercy to pure gold, two cubits and a half, say mercy seat. Shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half, the breadth thereof. Man. Because if you go over there and read, let me give you the scripture, 1 Samuel 4, verse 4, the Bible says that the Lord dwells between the cherubim, or the cherubim. He sits there enthroned. That's his throne. You understand? Look at your neighbor and say, that's his throne. Now, remember prophecy that Balaam had? Numbers? Shiloh. Say, look at your neighbor and say, Shiloh. That's his name. Shiloh. You with me? You know what that means? The one... Who has the right to reign. Jesus is Shiloh. <laughs> He's the one who has the right to reign. Do you understand this? Alright, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Y'all still with me? Thou shalt make a mercy to pure gold, two cubits and a half. Shall be the length thereof, a cubit and a half, the breadth thereof. Now this is going to be solid gold, man. Very costly. Ex extremely precious. 
Can you imagine? 700 pounds. Now, I, you know, that's heavy. Costly. Precious. You understand that? And the Bible tells us that this lid, this mercy seat, thou shalt make two cherubim of gold, solid gold, a beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Huh. Well, remember what we told you before, this is a type in the shadow of the heavenlies. Okay, I'll do my best to get there and try to give you more understanding on that. Okay, look at that. And what are those cherubim doing there? Uh, in Isaiah 6. They're around the throne. Y'all remember? Isaiah saw the Lord high lifted up and his train filled the temple. And what did he see? He saw those cherubim or cherubim, however you want to pronounce it. He saw these creatures. And they're crying, one to another. <laughs> face to face. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. And the Bible said the glory of the Lord set between the cherubim. So they're saying, He's holy. He's holy. So they're praising the Lord. So the glory of God is in between. Now Isaiah, I mean Hezekiah, in Isaiah 36, let me get the exact chapter, 36 or 37, I can find it. 37 and verse 16, you don't have to turn there. But Isaiah 37 verse 16, you turn there later just so you make sure I gave you the right verse. Hezekiah saw the mercy seat with the cherubim and he said, that's where God's throne is. And that's where the king sits. Here's the glory, there's the king. Here's his throne. That's where he sits upon the earth. So the cherubim, he's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. And in between them is the glory. So why did I have you do what I told you, asked you to do earlier? Go to each other and say, He's holy. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's loving. He's great. He's powerful. He's a king. Oh, there's nobody like Jesus. And when you're doing that, you don't really realize it, but the glory of God is sitting between you two when you do that. So when I cry holy to Him, that's worship. But when I say he's holy to you, that's praise. And he's right there in between us. Woo, woo. Now look, look. Jesus said this. We're two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of him. But the word or there can be also translated even. Where there's two, even three, there I am in the midst. I get, you get two people together and they start talking about me, the third, and I am the third in the midst of the two. 
So when I start talking about him, holy, holy, and I say, praise the Lord, Brother Jason. The glory of God sits between us. He's in the midst of us. Listen to me, church. That's why when a man of God or somebody is preaching the word of God, stands behind this pulpit and he begins to declare the greatness of God. He speaks. And when you respond back, then that builds a place where God can come and sit and the glory of God can be manifest. See, I'm not preaching to get a response. But I am preaching. And if you respond, I know how deeply the words getting in your heart. When I, when I preach and you respond and you praise God and it goes from here back to there from there up to here that's why all of a sudden you start having a powerful anointing in that place because it's going backwards and forwards and he's in the midst see listen to me you got a door, you can only get as much through the door as can come out of the door. I can't get no more through that door than I can get out of that door. So then I can't get no more into you than you're willing to let come out of you. That's why I can stand up here and I can preach for two hours. But it doesn't mean you have the capacity. But when you respond, that gives you capacity to receive more. Because just as amount goes out of your door, to come into your door. Everybody with me? See, today, I'm not really asking God to do something. I'm asking God to manifest himself. He's already here. Oh. Isn't God good? And those cherubim are concerned with his holiness. Say holiness. You're concerned with His holiness, right? <clears throat> mm. So when you see God pour out judgment on a city, have you ever noticed when Sodom and Gomorrah was judged by God, there was the Lord and there were two angels, the Bible calls them, with Him? Why? Because He's holy. And they're involved in the judgment of God. Look at Revelation. You don't believe me? Go to Revelation chapter 6. What did the living creature said to John? Come and see. And there was the first seal was opened up. And there was a rider on a white horse. Second seal was opened up. A rider on a red horse. Third seal was opened up. A rider on a black horse. Fourth seal opened up. A rider on a pale green horse. Come. And each one of them, those cherubim, were involved in the judgment of God. Because they are concerned about His holy. But what blows their mind is now, it's when the blood gets applied to the mercy seat, 
It's now mercy. And when you and I get together and say, praise the Lord. God comes right in between sinful, weak flesh and says, I'll forgive. I'm not going to judge him today. I'm going to forgive him. And I'm going to manifest myself to them. Well, you know what? I got about, I don't know how much I'm going to get through today. I got about 10, 15 pages of notes in, at home. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish all of them, but I'm sure trying. Lift your hands and give God praise. God is awesome. It's a gift. It's a gift. He is my gift. I don't deserve it, but He's here today. (laughs) That's why I'm telling you, this is a Holy Ghost life. If you can ever get a hold of this, you'll never be the same again. Whenever you start talking to each other, you will talk differently. When you come into this church house, you'll act. Now listen, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not saying you act bad. I'm just saying you'll have a revelation when you come in here like you've never had before. When I go to church today, I'm going to do some praising because the glory of God's going to show up and He's going to manifest His power. And I can't just sit there and not say anything. i got to say... And as you begin to do that, all of a sudden, Holy Ghost power begins to flow in your life. And you begin to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gives the utterance. Oh man. Uh, oh, He's awesome. You still understand now how the word goes forth and we're just exalting him and having a good time. And how when you start responding instead of sitting there like a, like looking like bumps on pickles. See, I know what I'm talking about. Because before God ever put me behind a pulpit to preach, whenever the preacher would preach, you know what? I learned something a long time ago. That as I moved in that anointing, and I responded to that anointing, I noticed something started happening to me. I started getting that same anointing. People say, boy, I wish I could get that anointing that preacher's got. I tell you what, you can get that anointing that preacher's got. You respond and move and say, yeah, yeah, that's right, bro. That's right. So when you come in here, you're not going to be the same again. It's Holy Ghost life. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. In the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee. It just it makes me want to get down on my knees. And it makes me want to cry. Holy, holy, holy. Holy. 
but preacher, it's just not moving in me like it is you right now. Well, <laughs> it can. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? <laughs> it's real. He lives. He's a priest that once was dead, but now is alive. <clears throat> Glory to God. Okay. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Well, <clears throat> I'm in betwixt two. I want to go on, but I don't want to go on. But if I don't go on, I can't share with you the rest of it. I think I'll give you part of it, all right? Oh, my Jesus. Isn't God good? You understand these types and these shadows? timeline Old Testament Tabernacle it's a type and shadow of that which is to come look though this is Mount Zion here's the light the glory of God. You see that? Eternal. With me? Okay. This is back in the Old Testament. This is the eternal. And all of a sudden, listen to me, a shadow is not light. A shadow dispels light. So what is a shadow? It's the light hitting a standing object. And when the light hits a standing object, the cross, it becomes a shadow. Back here in the Old Testament. But I'm showing you the shadow. We have the reality now. So in the Old Testament, you had this tabernacle, right? Hallelujah. This represents the 2,000-year church age. This represents the 1,000-year kingdom age. Are you here? Okay. You got the ark or the altar of sacrifice here. You got the brass laver here. See, we have the golden candlestick here. We have the showbread here. We have the altar of incense here. We have the Ark of the Covenant right there. Right? Okay. Good. So that in the Old Testament, Moses had the shadow. 
And on the Day of Atonement, once a year on the Day of Atonement, they offered sacrifice. The, scape, the goat was killed, and then there was a scapegoat that was taken out. And the whole nation was forgiven. So each year, year by year, they walked by shadow. Oh, don't, please don't. If, if you get quiet on me, I'm going to have to stop. Because the glory of God's here. And I don't want to lose that. I don't want you to lose that revelation. But each year they kept walking. Shadow! Shadow! One more goat died. Shadow! One more year. One more goat. One more shadow. And so they kept walking through shadows. Until you got to the cross. And the Lamb of God, the goat, tied on the cross. So he becomes the reality of the shadow. So I no longer have, listen, I'm no longer walking from shadow to shadow to shadow. I have the reality of the shadow. So when I got here, I just walked in. Now listen. What happens when the shadow overtakes the object which created it? What happens to it? Ooh. It gets inverted. So that which was back here as a shadow, because the shadow, come on, has overtaken. It's now fulfilled. It's overtaken the object which created it. Now it's over here. It's inverted. Wow. Okay. So that just as I told you, that Moses saw the hydromuck. Parts of Moses. I'm of God. God showed him Genesis, showed him the pattern seven days. See, maybe if, see, I've been kicking back and forth whether or not I'm going to go through the book of Genesis. I think maybe God wants to, he told me to do this first. I don't know where we're going from here, all right? That's God's plan, purpose. I've just got to get into the heavenlies. I just got to find out what, it, what his desire is. I just got to know. But Genesis is the pattern. So we got seven days, right? Okay. 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. With me? One day, two day, three day, four day, 4,000 years. Are you here? Uh, now we're beyond the shadow has... It's gone beyond the object which made it Calvary. We're beyond Calvary now. <laughs> So we got one day, two day, three day, four day, four thousand days, four thousand years of man's day. Oh, guess what? All right, we got the fifth day and the sixth day. 
and the seventh day. Now, go to, you're going to have to go to Hebrews 4 with me. I, I'm going to just give you a little bit of this, okay? I, some, I guess, I got enough, I've given you enough to chew on for a while anyway, okay? I'm just going to give you just a little bit. Okay, you with me? Go to Ephesians 4, get there, get there. Now, say, Adam... Hebrews, Hebrews 4. Adam, and say Eve. Eve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Say Hebrews 4. Well, I'm having a good time. How about y'all? Okay, Hebrews 4. Notice. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Now look at your neighbor and say again, life in the Holy Ghost. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed... Are you a believer this morning? Amen. We which have believed have what? Do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall not, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished. Oh, look at this. The works were finished when? From the foundation of the world. That's why I'm telling you, this shined forth from eternity. It was already done. So the light was cast onto the object of Calvary. And it went back into the Old Testament. But the work was already finished from the foundation of the world. See, with God, there is no time. You understand that? Bible says for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise and God did rest the seventh day from all his works and in this place again if they shall enter into my rest seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief again he limited a certain day saying in David today after so long a time say today <laughs> today after so long a time as it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest then would he not afterward have spoken of another day say a day <clears throat> there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God for he that is entered into his rest he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his let us labor therefore. Oh, that's strange. Ceasing from your own works, but laboring. Therefore, to do what? To enter into that rest, lest any man shall fall after the same example of unbelief. 
So what day was he talking about? The future seventh day. Are you here? In the Old Testament, God rested on the seventh day. Seventh day was a Sabbath. A rest, a picture of rest. What was it a picture of? The seventh day. 4,000 years. 5,000 years. 6,000. 7,000. From Adam to the seventh day. Do you understand? Where is the ark? Seventh day. You understand this? First four days, Adam. Man laboring. I, I went through some of this before. I don't remember when, but I did. Man laboring those first four days. Uh, by himself. Are you with me? Okay. Jesus comes after 4,000 years, right? From Adam to Christ is 4,000 years. He came. When he comes, we're going to see the labor of Jesus. What is the labor of Jesus? Well, the works were finished before the foundation of the world. Do you understand? Remember he looked up in heaven and he said, The Father worketh hitherto, and I work. What he's saying is, I'm just doing what was already foreordained and already prepared beforehand to be done. Okay, with me? But this is interesting. Because on the fifth day and the sixth day, you right there, he joined with his Eve. He took a bride. And for two days, the fifth day and the sixth day, we are joined with him and we are laborers together with him. But it doesn't mean that I'm trying to work for God or trying to be for God. I am called to enter into that rest, which means this, that I'm to look into the heavenlies and see that which was already done from the foundation of the world and say, God, what is your plan for this day? Because it was already done. The work's already done. I'm not asking you to do something new. I'm asking you to do what you've already done. Amen. Y'all see this? We're laboring together with Him. But in Hebrews, He talks about a seventh day. And He says, now, today, there remains a rest for the people of God. Now. Oh. So He says, hey, the seventh day is available now. Because I, I don't, He says, I don't dwell in time. Are you with me? 
So God wants you to enter into this rest right here. Now, how do we do that? Well, we get full of the Holy Ghost. That's the rest of God. When you get, when you get that Holy Ghost life on the inside of you, then you're, you have experienced what the kingdom age is about. And we're already experiencing it in the fifth and the sixth day because God doesn't dwell in time. He's eternal and this is already done. It's already prepared. All you got to do is enter into that rest. You understand? People say, well, I'm just trying so hard. I'm trying to work for God. I'm trying to do for God. And God said, you know what? You're struggling. And the reason why you're struggling because you're fighting against your own struggle. He said, if you could just get into the heavens and see what I've already done. <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow. Just say, God, I know you've already done it. I'm just moving through time here. They're just markers, God. But you're in eternity. And you said you've already done the work. So what was your predetermined, pre-planned, already prepared work that I'm supposed to be just a function of? I'm laboring to enter into that rest. I'm fighting the good fight of faith. I'm looking into what I can't see, that which is already done in the heavenlies. And I'm saying, God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's already done in heaven, but it's not done on earth. It makes it a lot easier for you when you already know. God already knows what you're going to do today. See, that's why prayer in the morning is so important for you. And I, I'm not going there this morning. But you're going to go in there and say, okay, God, it's already done. But I want to, I got to see it to be it. I got to see it to be it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Come on. The number seven is his throne. You have the sovereignty of God, which means God alone is worthy. God's telling you there remains a rest for the people of God where I alone am working. And all you are is just a conduit. And it's for you today. So that, that really sets me at ease today. Because everything, everything I've ever done, everything I've ever done, is said, everything I've ever experienced, God already knew it. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. Isn't God good? How many of y'all need rest?
For he says it's for you today. He lives in the now. He lives in today. There really is no past. There really is no future in him. It's not always ever present today. Now what is so awesome is this. Speaking of the Holy Ghost, Isaiah 28, I believe it was, says this is the rest. We're now caused the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. So when you got full of the Holy Ghost life of God, then you experience the rest of God. But here's the problem. We're still trying to work for God and do for God and be for God. What God is trying to be and do and work through us. He said, I've already done it all. I've already built it all. All I need from you is just to let me do that, which I've already done through you. Oh, man, that's that. Praise God. So now I go through life and say, okay, God, what was what you had to plan for today? What did you already do today? So I just go through life looking for what God has already done and already prepared. And I just function by that. But you have to labor to enter into that rest. You cease from your own works, which means you stop trying to do your own stuff. And you let God do His through you. You stop trying to tell God how to do it. And say, God, tell me. You understand? You got to labor to enter into that rest. That means you got to spend time with God. You got to look into the heavens. You got to find out what His will, which was already done, is today. Are you with me? All right, sit down. One, two, three, dimension. Oops. Are you here? The seventh day is the third dimension. Are you here? Okay, first dimension. Uh, look at this. Here we are in the fifth. Right? What's out here? Altar. Labor. Right? Uh-oh, here's man. Now we bring it over here, remember? Remember, it's over here. It was here, but now we bring it over here. Man. Working. See what I'm saying? I... Okay. South side, golden candlestick, altar of incense, no, uh, showbread, altar of incense, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make it pretty. All right, this is Saul. This is David. So the fifth day is the first dimension. 
the sixth day is the second dimension. The seventh day is the third dimension. Death, burial, resurrection. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Way, truth, and life. He which was, which is, which is to come. Three dimensions. With me? David, uh, I love this. David was in the second dimension. All right? You got to listen. Now, David, he said in the Psalms, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Golden candlestick. Ah. (laughs) David went into the tabernacle and ate the showbread. And David worshiped incense. But what is awesome, when I look at David, see, I was getting a little bit. See, David is very unique. Because David walked in the Old Testament tabernacle days in the second dimension. But then he built another tabernacle where there was no blood sacrifice made. And in that little tent called the Tabernacle of David was placed only the ark. And the only sacrifice that was made at that tabernacle was praise and worship. So then for 24 hours a day, they work. I said, I tell you what, we're going to get the priests together. Now listen, at the same time that the tabernacle of David was built and he put this ark in it, over there was the, the tabernacle of Moses and they were still offering blood sacrifices. And over here, they were offering spiritual sacrifices of praises at the tabernacle of David. So David's very unusual. He moves in the second dimension here, the old tabernacle of Moses. But now he's moving into the church age with his tabernacle of David. He's very unique. So what I'm trying to show you, Hebrews 6 says, leaving the principles of the faith. Let us go on to perfection. What I'm trying to show you, you don't leave. What I mean in the sense that, well, we don't need repentance anymore. We don't need water baptism anymore. What you do is you carry water baptism and repentance into the next dimension. The Word of God. Praise and worship. Ah, The Word of God, sorry. Praise and worship. Testimony. With me? And we just carry them into the next dimension. Okay, now look. Now, so David's a picture of the second dimension, but I see him moving. He, it's, it's very awesome. To see, do you see what I'm saying? They're offering sacrifices in the first dimension here. David's going over here, and he's, you know, experiencing all these things we've already showed about. You know, the, the show Brady ate, the show Brady did the worship, and, uh, um, that golden candlestick. The Lord is my light and my salvation. But yet he builds a tabernacle where there's no sacrifice given other than praise, 
which is where you're living right now. The Old Testament tabernacle of Moses. Here, now we're in the church age. And the temple is the temple of God in the kingdom age. So all I'm trying to show you is he's going to carry each one into the next. Now David, okay. I'm trying to help you see where we are right now. We have everything the Old Testament tabernacle pictured and pointed to, and also the taber what the tabernacle of David was about. We have that. That's where the oh, you gotta hear me now. The Old Testament tabernacle was the Levitical priesthood. That's our picture of our service and the order, right? But the tabernacle of David was a Melchizedek type priesthood. It was a king priest. Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Levitical, Levitical priests could only be priests, not kings and priests. Melchizedek was a royal priest. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see this. Beautiful. The Melchizedek priesthood is the fivefold ministry. That's what we're doing now. Worshiping, praise God. I don't have to bring a blood sacrifice. He's already done it. Okay. Y'all still with me? Third dimension is the temple with Solomon. Huh? Remember? God's government, God's kingship, Solomon. The temple represents his second coming. Tabernacle represents his first coming. Tabernacle of David in the middle represents the church age. With me? I carry each one into another dimension. All right. Now what happened when, when they built Solomon's temple? What did they do? God said, no hammers in my house. You go and you make it. You prepare it before. And when you get through preparing it before, then you bring it, that which is already prepared. You bring it and you put it back together. And that's my temple. No sound of the hammer of a man. Prepared. You and me, that's the third dimension. So the seventh day and the third dimension go together. Now, that's what Hebrews 4 is talking about. Hey, don't look at me like, boy, I'm confused. Isn't God... Now, let me go back to David a little bit. Because this kind of bugged me. As I studied in my studies and things. It kind of bugged me. What am I going to do with David? Because David's very unusual. Second dimension, but... Look at him. Tabernacle of Moses. Tabernacle of David. And he even prepares materials for the third dimension. He can't build it. 
but he prepares. You understand? God is telling you church people today, the saints of God, the blessed of the Lord. Trying to show you what you can experience in Him today. Today, there remains a rest for the people of God. And that which was already done in advance, all you have to do is say, God, I'm going to stop doing my stuff. It's not my ministry! It's not my work. It's not my ministry. You gotta stop from your you gotta stop doing your own thing. I cease from your own works. Just say, God, it's your work. Just tell me what I was. You made me for a reason. You have pre- prepared me for a reason. My whole life has already been lived out before your throne. So today I got up. You know what? When I came to church this morning, I said, okay, God, this day's already done. (laughs) In eternity. In heaven, it's already done. But on earth, it's not. So I said, God, just let me see into heavens. Let me get a revelation of the Spirit, what what you've already done today. And I'm just going to move in it. See, listen to me. What happened today was foreordained from the foundation of the world. Isn't God good? Now, I don't know when. I've been telling y'all for a long time. See, I got, I, I don't I want to teach you Genesis. I want to teach you the tabernacle of David. I don't know what I'm doing. But I, you know what? I got to do is say, okay, God, I, what do you want me to do? Hey, just, don't, just tell me. I'm just the conduit. I'm just the one that do the function. So I'm so excited, I, I can't hardly stand it. You have to get to this place in your life where you say, not my will, but your will be done. Instead of going through life trying to make it happen and do it and be it and all these things, you got to get to a point where you say, God, it's already done. I'm going to stop doing my own thing. I'm going to start letting you do it through me. It's not my ministry. It's yours. God, do it through me. You don't get that spirit about you. You're always going to worry about losing something. Beating. I know preachers, they're so worried they're going to get voted out. Hey man, I don't, we, that don't even concern me. You didn't vote me in, you can't vote me out. But if God chose me in the heavenlies, and He hadn't, He hadn't, he, he, I know where I am, what I'm doing, and what I'm supposed to be doing. But if He shows me in the heavenlies, I, it's already done, man. 
See, we get all of this. We take all this stuff into the church with us. All the junk. Our, our own stuff. That's why I'm telling you. See, some people won't want to give advice. You better have. The, that's why I'm saying you better have the mind of God. Understand? Give God praise. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, hey, well, we want, we want somebody from Judah. We want somebody from Reuben. Said God, God says, no, I'm I, a Levi. <laughs> but since when, uh, why has the church got into this stuff now to where we vote for preachers and put them in office? People don't put preachers in office. God puts them in office. Since when do we start calling ourselves to preach? No man takes this uh, to himself. God don't operate the way that we operate. God, we just had to say, okay, God, what is your will today? Hallelujah. And you know what he might say? He might say, wilderness. <laughs> We're talking about wilderness, God. I, 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 I was thinking more along the lines of Cadillac. <laughs> You're thinking, well, what do you mean? I'm telling you, most people are doing their own thing, calling their own shots, and God says, fear. Labor to enter into that rest. Be in His perfect will. Stop doing your own stuff. God wants you to preach. God wants you to minister in song. Let me tell you something. You don't have to go out and try to work and make it happen. You just get the mind of God and God will open the doors and all you're going to have to do is walk through the door. You don't have to get into politics and stepping on each other and hating each other because one can sing better than another one. That's stupid. That's carnal. See, you know what will happen, oh, oh Eli? I can sit down. <sighs> he said, there. <laughs> Couldn't even move. <laughs> When the heart was taken, what happened? He fell over dead. Man broke his neck. He's doing his own thing, man. He's letting his own his sons do their own thing, committing fornication in the house. I said, "Huh, yeah, I'll take care of this right now." You better watch out, friend. Fear. You better fear that you don't enter into that rest. But isn't it so wonderful? You just say, okay, God, what is your will today? I'll preach to let you go. I know. See, I told you I had to get it out of my system. So I'll preach to you, uh, you know, at least two messages. I had to get it out of my system, you know? And I'm gonna, when, and when they preach tonight, I'm going to do just what they do to me. I'm going to sit there. Right. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, well, you'll know who it is. Say, light your fire, man, honey. I ain't lighting your fire for you. Amen. I said, he said, us came here. I said, I'm not going to try to light anybody's fire. He don't have no fire. I'm not going to try to pump him up, man. He better, he better he's got to have his own fire. He's got to have his own ministry. And that first night, he started praying for people. And I just sat back there, you know. And when God would tell me, when I saw into the heavens what his will was, he said, go pray for this one. I went and prayed for this one. So he said, I said, come on up here. And I was back there. Yeah, hey, praise God, man. I'm not laying hands on nobody God hadn't called me to lay hands on. So I just back here just doing my own thing, you know. And he called another preacher out. Now, come over here and pray and lay hands on him. You got to hear from God, man. For so long, though. You know, I, I felt like, boy, when that preacher comes or whoever preaches, I got to help them out, man. I got Because I've got fire. I don't have to go looking for any. But I, I, I've, I've entered into the rest. <laughs> Isn't God good? Why don't you lift your hands and give God praise? Hallelujah. God's good. He's an awesome God. So you're having a problem today. I'll tell you what you did. You mad at me? You mad at me? God, am I supposed to be mad at the preacher today? <laughs> Did you foreordain this for me today? God, I'm supposed to be mad at him. He's... He hurt my feelings today, God. I'm offended. Is that what you want me to be? <laughs> Say, God, is this? Okay, you got a plan for my life. I'm supposed to be doing this, you know? You got a plan for my life. Uh, and, and so what's going on, God? Why aren't I doing it? Because it's not time yet. Not time yet. I'm mad, God, because I can't do what you call me to do. But I said, well, it's not time for you to do. Right? Okay. Is this helping anybody? Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? I want to ask you to do one thing, though. One thing we can do. We can pray for the preacher. You know, don't go through life saying, well, you know, it's already foreordained, predetermined, God, so, you know, I'm not even going to pray. No, no, no. That's See, you've got to enter into that labor, enter into that rest, and that comes by prayer. So that that which is already done will take place in the earth, in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Daniel prayed that which was already done in the heavens. God had already, listen to me. God had already declared it in advance that they were going to go into captivity for 70 years. And after 70 years, they're coming out. It was already determined and already done in the mind of God. But Daniel prays. So that what was already done in heaven would be on the earth. Okay, so what? Now y'all are all wore out. 
No, I'm feeling pretty good. See, let me, okay, let me share with you what I'm, what I'll give you an example here. You, have you ever come into church and you're just dead tired? And all you want to do is, man, you, you did good to get here. Plop down on that old pew and sleep. And, I mean, you, I mean, you did good just to get out, roll out of that bed this morning and get in the house. And it has ever amazed you that when you left here, you were, you can't sleep, man. You go home. I got tired. I go, you know, let's go mow the lawn at 10 o'clock at night. You were dead tired when you first went to church. Now you got more energy. You know what to do with. You can't sleep all night. You know why? Because the rest of the Holy Ghost, you moved into the rest of God. I'm, t- I'm more tired when I first step this pulpit than I ever am when I get through. My body might be tired and I might have some virtue going out of me, but on the inside, I want you to know I'm refreshed. So yeah, you know what we're talking about, right? Moving in that rest. Okay, so y'all pray for the preacher tonight. He needs it. But I believe this is going to help him. He's going to say, God, yeah, this is preordained, predetermined before I ever did it. You knew I was going to be doing this. You knew I was going to be standing here. You knew I was going to be scared half to death. You knew I was going to be nervous. But God, I just all I needed was your mind. I've got your mind, so now I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm not going to try to work for you or be for you or do for you. I'm going to let you do and be and work through me. y'all pray for the preacher tonight all right thank you jesus i appreciate you praying for me let's bow our heads today thank you god father in the mighty name of jesus i love you i give you glory and honor and praise and worship <clears throat> and i thank you jesus oh god for your goodness and your mercy and your grace your power and your strength <clears throat> hallelujah <clears throat> praise god Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. <coughs> Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your spirits. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you. And I just thank you today, Lord Jesus, for everything that I had an opportunity to study and to hear to be a part of this message today father god i give you the glory and the honor and the praise today thank you jesus for we are a product of everything that we see hear, and read oh god and we thank you for the revelation lord jesus that you gave us by the spirit we thank you lord god that we yielded ourselves to you today oh god that we might be just a vessel a messenger in the name of jesus everybody said in the name of jesus how many of y'all going to study the Word more? How many of y'all going to pray more? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Turn around look at your neighbor and say, God is good. Say, He's holy. <laughs> oh, God, you're awesome.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Isn't God good?